Welcome to the Vitality Radio Podcast, your source for the truth about health, wellness, and real alternatives to drugs, surgeries, and the status quo of healthcare. Here, you'll find information that empowers you to take control of your health. But it's not just about health and wellness, it's about the politics of healthcare and protecting your health freedom. Now, here's your host, Jared St. Clair. Hello and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair. It's good to be with you yet again on another episode of Vitality Radio. I've got some good stuff for you today. We're going to talk about the truth about fat. Let's say, uh, put it that way, there's been a lot of information out there, both uh, good and bad, and I want to dissect a little bit of what's going on and what the politics are behind this information so you can determine what is true when you hear information about fat in your diet. So we'll go into that. I think it'll be very helpful and I hope it will enlighten you a little bit as to just how these messages are created and constructed in such a way to really just confuse the heck out of the end consumer and uh, make it very difficult for you to make good eating decisions. So we're going to talk about that. That'll be the rant. And then we're going to get into the art of relaxation. I was talking to my good buddy, uh, Dr. Todd Cameron, uh, here in Salt Lake City just the other day, and he said over the last few years, he has seen a significant uptick in stress-related illness. And uh, he blamed it on politics and what's going on in Washington, and uh, it certainly could be the case. I don't know what the blame is other than all you have to do is look around on social media or the news, and there's plenty of things to be stressed about. The question is, how do we de-stress from those things? And I'm going to talk about some natural approaches to that, uh, things that you can do instead of resorting to pharmaceuticals to um, relax and calm down. So that'll be Vitality Radio today. It is time for the morning rant. In a world full of often confusing messages about health, let Jared be your guide through the smoke screens of corporate greed, media bias, government ineptitude, and propaganda. When you see what is really happening, you'll be ranting too. It's time to expose the hidden agendas. It's time for the truth. It's time for the vital rant. Okay, so sometimes I wonder if it's just sheer stupidity or a vast conspiracy against our health. Why is it that the FDA, the American Heart Association, the American Cancer Society, and almost all other government or supposed health-related associations or organizations consistently trumpet the same half-truths and lies year after year when the research proves them wrong time after time? It seems to me, that the people at the top of these various organizations must be pretty intelligent to have risen to the level that they've risen. So it's hard to imagine that it's just stupidity. Maybe they're brainwashed, or maybe it's more sinister than that. Maybe the soybean lobby just shoves enough money in their pockets that they say what they are told to say, even when they know it isn't true. 
What am I talking about this time? The health risks posed by using soybean oil, the most popular edible oil in the United States for decades, are still a matter of debate among health professionals. A recent article came out about a recent study on soybean oil and uh, what's going on with soybean oil. There's a lot of stir here. It's on most of the major news uh, websites. Uh, this particular article actually uh, spliced uh, from a few different places, including msn.com and uh, a couple of others. But what's basically going on is back in 2015, there was a study done that showed that soybean oil might cause obesity, insulin resistance, and diabetes in mice. Uh, others said Americans should consider avoiding plant oils such as soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, and cottonseed oil due to their high omega-3, or sorry, omega-6 content. Now, omega-6 is confusing, and I don't have time to go into it right now because I'll, I just don't have time, but we'll talk about it again. We'll talk about omega-3 and omega-6 ratios and things. Omega-6 is a, is a critical oil. We have to have it. The problem is there's so much omega-6 oil in our diets now that omega-3 is, um, is a tiny percentage of what we have, and omega-6 is very, very high. It should be about a two-to-one ratio. It's more like a six or seven-to-one ratio. So these oils, which have been pushed on us as super healthy because they have unsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, are not necessarily that great, especially if we have them in high uh, quantities. But what is this about soybean oil specifically? It's very interesting. A new study from the University of California, Riverside, found soybean oil impacts the brain's hypothalamus in mice fed diets high in this oil. It revealed consumption of soybean oil seems to have impaired the ability of around 100 genes to function properly in the mice. One of these genes is responsible for producing oxytocin, a hormone also known as the body's love drug. The study said that these changes were only associated with soybean oil, but not other soy products like soy milk or, cooking, or other cooking oils. The study published this month in the journal Endocrinology compared mice-fed soybean oil versus coconut oil. In 2015, this same UCR research team found soybean oil induced obesity, diabetes, insulin resistance, and fatty liver in mice. Now, the dogma is that saturated fat is bad and unsaturated fat is good. Soybean oil is a polyunsaturated fat, but the idea that it is good for you is just not proven. That's according to one of the researchers. Soybean oil's consumption has increased significantly in recent decades in the U.S., making it ubiquitous in the American diet. It's found in salad dressings, uh, chips and crackers, margarines, fried foods, and so on and so forth. And if you look, it is a small part of so many packaged products. It is in there massively. But some experts consider it heart healthy still. In 2017, in fact, the FDA gave it a qualified health claim of being as good for you as other oils like olive oil. In fact, uh, I'll get to it later, but they don't even differentiate olive oil versus soybean oil or canola oil or some of these other bad oils um, in the uh, dietary guidelines for Americans. So let's move on and talk about what the American Heart Association says about this. They uh, listed in their cardiovascular disease advisory that corn oil, soybean oil, peanut oil, and canola oil all contain high amounts of polyunsaturated fats and therefore are preferred oils to use over butter and coconut oil, for instance. 
In 2016, the American Heart Association came out against coconut oil, in fact, because it is loaded with that saturated fat, and that can increase cholesterol. In reality, when it increases cholesterol, though, it increases both HDL, the good cholesterol, and LDL, which is considered bad cholesterol. And sometimes this can have a beneficial effect on the cholesterol ratio. But, of course, the AHA, or American Heart Association, will ignore that fact because saturated fat is evil. It's always been, and it always will be. And cholesterol is evil, even though we need a lot of cholesterol for hundreds of healthy bodily functions. And they will continue to ignore that it takes 250 people to be on a cholesterol-lowering statin drug for 10 years to prevent one additional heart attack or stroke. Yes, you heard right. You've got to be on a statin drug along with 249 of your friends for 10 years before one of you will benefit from not having a heart attack or stroke. So they're going to ignore all these things. They're going to continue to vilify cholesterol, and then they're going to vilify saturated fat because saturated fat makes cholesterol. But in reality, we know that the research doesn't really bear any of that out, but they're going to keep trumpeting the same fake facts year after year, year after year, just like they have since the 60s when all these stupid studies originally came out that were done poorly in the Framingham studies and, well, basically have just made Americans fatter and fatter and more, more obese and more diabetic and everything else that's come along with those bad recommendations that the government has given us. So it's convenient to ignore the facts when you have an agenda, right? But they don't just ignore facts. They actually actively create propaganda to further distort the truth and confuse the consumer. I've got a video that I found. I couldn't figure out who did it. Uh, it was done by a group called Buzz60, but they do videos on all kinds of things. So somebody paid them to do this video, I imagine. And I imagine it was probably the soybean lobby. They're a pretty powerful one up there in Washington. But I want you to listen to this video. I want you to listen to the video, and I'm going to dissect it here in just a second. Check this out. The incredible edible soybean plant. According to Healthline, between 2018 and 2019, approximately 62 million tons of soybean oil were produced around the world, making this versatile oil one of the most common cooking oils around the globe. With its mild and neutral taste, you can mix it with vinegar to create an easy salad dressing, and with its high smoke point, it can substitute olive, canola, and vegetable oils. But it can do so much more than just cook your food. It could promote skin health too. One study found that topically applying the oil, which is rich in vitamin E, helps skin retain moisture, protecting against skin inflammation. It can be used to dilute essential oils before using them on your skin. And studies found that it may support bone health. According to Healthline, just one tablespoon of soybean oil contains 25 micrograms of vitamin K, which is 20% of the daily value in a single serving. Vitamin K has been linked to bone metabolism regulation and a lower risk of bone fractures in women who took it every day. Soybean oil contains omega-3 fatty acids, which, according to the Medical Daily, are linked to better heart health, fetal development, brain function, and immunity. Okay, so that's the video. And I talk about propaganda a lot on my show, and I'm... <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about it because that's the most propaganda-filled video I think I've ever seen. It was amazing, especially at the end when it said uh, 25 micrograms uh, well, soybean oil may protect the heart because it contains per tablespoon 25 micrograms of vitamin K, 
which is 20% of the RDA for vitamin K. Well, that means you'd have to take five tablespoons of soybean oil to get the RDA of vitamin K. And uh, get this, vitamin K, you actually need a little more than what the RDA says anyway. So to get the benefit that you would need out of soybean oil, you'd be taking somewhere in the neighborhood of literally eight to 10 tablespoons of soybean oil, which even the government might consider excessive. And then I love the fact that soybean oil contains omega-3. Okay, well, <laughs> if that's what you're going to use as a selling point and then talk about heart health and brain health and fetal development, you're a stinking liar. That's all there is to it. Of course, soybean oil contain, contains omega-3. Lots of things contain omega-3. But soybean oil has such a minute percentage of omega-3 versus omega-6 in it that all it does is make omega-3 less prevalent in the body as a percentage. It changes the ratio in a very negative way, which means that you'll have less good fetal development, less good brain health, less good heart health. But they take that, spin it, make it sound good, and it's a bunch of stinking lies. And this is the primary reason why I rant. I have to rant because I talked about stress earlier in the show, and I'm going to go into stress and relaxation. This is one of the ways that I relax. <laughs> I don't know if that really works. But you got to get it out there because the information is invalid. But it's not just invalid, it's dangerous. Because people watching just that video for a minute and 20 seconds might say, oh my gosh, I should be using more soybean oil. They might look at the package of food and say, oh, this is made with soybean oil. That's good for my heart. That's good for my brain. They're lying. Soybean oil is not good for you. It has never been good for you. It doesn't matter what polyunsaturated fat content it has. Not to mention the fact that soybean oil, the way it's processed, is horrific. It's heated and bleached and made to taste like nothing so that they can use it in all these things. But that's not how soybean oil is coming out of the bean. Not only that, but the majority of soy in this country is genetically modified. So now we have a genetically modified bean producing an oil that is not good for human consumption and being promoted by the federal government and the American Heart Association as heart healthy. Over something like coconut oil, which is actually a food that is not genetically modified and does not have any chemicals associated with the production of it. It's not bleached. You'll notice that coconut oil, what happens with it? It turns solid at room temperature. Yeah, that's how coconut is in nature. And that's okay. It's the same way butter is in nature. And guess what? Sometimes nature actually knows what the heck is happening here and what to do and what to promote for your health. Whereas the government and the American Heart Association, they just don't. They just don't. Let's talk about this a little bit. And then I'm going to stop ranting, I promise. Doctors have told patients for decades to eat less saturated fat, the predominant kind in red meat, butter, cheese, as a way to prevent disease. But the truth is more complicated. A report published earlier concludes that people who cut out saturated fat don't necessarily lose the risk for heart disease. In fact, it doesn't even lower. The government still hasn't completely caught up with science on this. And is it because they're not catching up out of choice or out of stupidity? Like I said, it's hard to say because we know there are people in government that aren't very bright. But for the most part, these are pretty smart people 
and I think they've got an agenda. Simple as that. Get this. The National Institute of Health, they have a program called We Can, which aims to help children maintain a healthy weight. Oh, I love when they go after our children. Isn't that great? It helps to maintain a healthy weight for children. It steers families towards low-fat foods. The program lists diet soda and ketchup as foods to eat almost any time. Diet soda and ketchup? This is the National Institutes of Health. These people are evil. That's all there is to it. That's all you need to know. Diet soda is poison. It is terrible for you. I haven't done a show on it in a while, and I need to do another one because I need to convince a few more people to get off this stuff. It's bad news. It's never good for you. It never has been good for you, and it never will be good for you. And ketchup, by and large, is sweetened with high fructose corn syrup. And if it's not sweetened with high fructose corn syrup, it's still mostly sugar. So yes, there's some tomato paste in there. And yes, tomatoes, as a general rule, are good for you. But that's like saying that there's omega-3 in soybean oil. Just because there's tomatoes and ketchup doesn't make ketchup good for you. But they say you can eat those almost any time. But get this, low-fat milk should be consumed only sometimes. And the NIH program puts whole milk in the most restricted category, the same as cookies, donuts, and french fries, meaning they should only be consumed once in a while. I'll tell you what, even pasteurized homogenized milk, which I don't believe is good for you, I'll take that all day long over a Diet Coke with a side of ketchup. These National Institutes of Health people, they don't know, but I think they do, but maybe they don't. I don't know. I just know that what they give us is garbage and we need to not listen to it. I went as far as to download the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. This document is supposed to help us eat right for our health. It's signed by two secretaries, the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Secretary of Agriculture. Now, right there is a problem for two reasons. Why would the Secretary of Agriculture be included in this document? Oh, that's right, because he's supposed to be an unbiased voice on all things food. But that isn't how government works, is it? I've run into the Secretary of Agriculture in my research on multiple occasions. His name is Thomas Vilsack, and he is straight out of corn country, a Democrat from Iowa. In fact, he's so well thought of among Democrats that he was on the short list to be Hillary's running mate in 2016. So, is Thomas Vilsack actually interested in your health, or is he interested in supporting big agriculture and big food? According to MotherJones.com, here's a taste of the track record of Mr. Vilsack. I mean, Vilsack. Sorry about that. He's no stranger to agribiz. As Iowa governor, Vilsack endeared himself to the state's ag interests. Back in 2001, the biotech industry organization, a trade group representing seed agrochemical players like Monsanto, DuPont, BASF, Bayer, and Syngenta, or Syngenta, I'm not sure how to say that one, but they're bad too, uh, named him the governor of the year for his support of the industry's economic growth and agricultural biotechnology research. Being the governor of the year, according to Monsanto, <laughs> are you kidding? If I was Vilsack, I'd hide that trophy as deep as I possibly could in my backyard. I would dig a hole until I got to the center of the earth and I would bury that trophy and I would never tell anybody else about it. It is not an honor to be governor of the year, according to Monsanto, DuPont, and Bayer. 
I promise you that. He also chaired the Governor's Ethanol Coalition and the Governor's Biotech Partnership. Not long after stepping down from the Iowa governor post in 2006, Vilsack joined the Minneapolis-based corporate law firm Dorsey & Whitney to provide advice to clients in the fields of energy conservation, renewable energy, and agribusiness development. He also loves GMOs. Under federal law, the USDA is charged with vetting new genetically modified crops before they enter farm fields. According to Patty Lavera, assistant director of the watchdog group Food and Water Watch, Vilsack's USDA has been the most GMO-friendly ever. She pointed to a landmark 2011 decision to approve Kentucky bluegrass engineered to resist the herbicide glyphosate. Oh, and if you listen to Vitality Radio, you know how great glyphosate is. That's Roundup. Let's get a grass that can handle it. That sounds great. As I explained in a detailed post at the time, this is uh, Patty Lavera speaking. The decision set a precedent for greenlighting future GMO crops without any assessment of environmental impact, a massive win for the industry. He also especially loves crops genetically engineered to tolerate weed killers. Perhaps the most controversial moves under Vilsack's watch involved crops engineered to resist multiple herbicides. The ubiquity of herbicide-tolerant crops triggered a crisis in herbicide-resistant weeds in the 2010s. According to the Agribusiness Research Consultancy, um, infested with glyphosate-resistant weeds, let's see, farmland infested with glyphosate-resistant weeds ballooned from 32.6 million acres in 2010 to 61.2 million acres in 2013. That's double a landmass equal to nearly two-thirds the size of California. The industry response was to engineer crops to withstand both glyphosate and older, more toxic herbicides, a response scientists warned that threatened to create yet more resistance and lead to much more herbicide use. The USDA approved them anyway over the severe objections of the Natural Resources Defense Council and other green groups. Farmers are now busily planting these crops and spraying those herbicides. So, this is one of the secretaries behind this paper that I'm about to go into. A dietary guideline that literally suggests in one example of a healthy meal that milk should be fat-free and the source of fat in that meal should be mayonnaise. Now, I want to restate, just to make sure you understand, This is coming from the top, the very best our government has to offer for our health. And they give an example in the paper specifically saying fat-free milk and the fat from the meal should come from mayonnaise. Now, guess what mayonnaise is made from? Almost always soybean oil. Well, isn't that convenient? Soybean oil, we now know, messes with over 100 genes in the brain and can turn off or severely limit the production of oxytocin. Now, what do we need more in this world than ever before? Probably oxytocin. All you have to do is get on Facebook or Instagram or uh, Twitter to see all the hate being flung back and forth at everybody, especially if you're looking at all into this election coming up. Oh my goodness, it's gross. It's despicable, but it's real. So much fighting, so much anger. All we need is love, right? Isn't that what the Beatles said? But we don't have any love to give because we're all hopped up on soybean oil and our oxytocin's in the tank. 
Now, I don't know how true that is, but the science says that it's pretty true. If you're having a hard time feeling love or feeling loving feelings, maybe get the soybean oil out of your life. But if you follow the government regulations, no way, man. Bring it on. More soybean, less butter, less coconut oil. So what's the moral of this rant? It's twofold, I'd say. Don't trust the government with your nutrition advice. It is 100% bought and paid for. Also, if an association has a key word in it, such as the American Heart Association or the American Cancer Society, etc., rest assured that they will tell you things that will actually make you more likely to get the disease they claim to be trying to prevent. And I 100% believe that to be the case. And with that, I close my rant. Okay, we're going to cut to a break. And when I come back, we're going to talk about stress. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the counter to stress, relaxation. I'm going to do some deep breathing during the break. I hope you do as well. And join me when I come back in a couple of minutes. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. After decades of helping people with their nutritional supplement needs, I have observed something that seems almost universal. People seem to have a lot of products that they have experimented with. Some might have been recommended by a blogger online, others from a magazine article, and yet another by a friend or family member. Information is coming at us at a rapid pace nowadays, and everyone has an opinion. The problem is that there is only one really big wild card in health and nutrition, and that wild card is you. I know you've heard the infomercials, seen the ads, or talked to that neighbor who has that cure-all product that can do it all for your health. The problem is, that supplement doesn't exist. What's right for your neighbor isn't always right for you. At Vitality Nutrition, we've been asking the right questions for years. What I mean by this is, we don't just sell supplements, we consult with our clients and ask them the key questions needed to make sure we match the right supplement to the right person. If you feel better about a team approach to your health, give us a call and one of our well-educated Vitality team members will answer your questions and help you find just what it is that you need to address your health concerns naturally. You can reach us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or drop us an email, info at vitalityradiopod.com. That's info at vitalityradiopod.com. Welcome back to Vitality Radio. I'm Jared St. Clair, and I'm with you every week talking about health, nutrition, fitness, and all things vitality. My goal is really simple. I want to educate and inform you on ways that you can avoid pharmaceuticals and medical procedures by using a natural approach and by and large, do everything I can to help you maintain or get back your optimum vitality. Now, I have some people in my life that are very close to me who deal with anxiety, like clinical anxiety, bad stuff. I can't say that I've ever experienced that. I've had anxious moments for sure in my life. I've had plenty of stress. I think we all have. But I've never felt that uncontrollable anxiety where I can't calm down. And it's terrifying stuff. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. But there are things that we can do short of pharmaceuticals 
that can help us to relax and help us find our center and help us find focus. Now, a lot of this stuff is kind of Eastern stuff, you know, yoga, for instance, Tai Chi, things like that. And I highly recommend anything like that. But I'm going to help you with some things that are maybe you don't know so much about and maybe you don't have to join a studio to participate in. Things that you can do just in the comfort of your own home. And some of these things are kind of new to me. One of them in particular, I was reading an article and I'm, I love this article. I've already posted on the Vitality Radio Facebook page and uh, I hope you check it out. It's by a, uh, a website called helpguide.org. That's helpguide.org. Now, I'm new to that website, but I love this article, so I'm going to dig around a little more on there because they may have some great stuff for us. But I uh, specifically found something on there called progressive muscle relaxation. And I want to get into that for a minute uh, during the show. And if you want the actual article, like I said, go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Vitality Radio. I'm also going to try and uh, figure out how to link it to my uh, new website, vitalityradiopod.com. So I'm semi-savvy when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I'm no web developer and I am... (laughs) doing this on a bit of a shoestring budget here. So the website's pretty nice. Uh, I I think it looks really good. It's got some good information. Still trying to learn how to use it. So uh, I'll do my best to get that up there for you. But go to Facebook and you can find it there. I'd I'd love for you to look through this entire article because they had seven or eight great techniques there, some of which I've mentioned on the show before. But this progressive muscle relaxation, something I'd heard of, but I'd never read about and I'd never done. And I actually did some of it prior to the show today. And I think it's very, very cool. But how do I know that stress is at an all-time high? I feel like we all know that stress is at an all-time high. We are high-strung nowadays. But there's some evidence that I get to see that maybe you don't get to see that I think is pretty interesting. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you were with me then, Dr. Todd Cameron, who's a naturopathic medical doctor and and the doctor I I, uh, choose to see when I need medical advice, Good guy, been doing it for a long time, and he has a, a real nice uh, blend of of uh, being a doctor, but also being all about the natural approach if possible. And he said he's seen clinically in blood test results that people's stress is higher than it's ever been. And all the years that he's practiced over the last three or four years, he said it has just gone through the roof. And uh, I I mentioned before, he blamed it on politics. I'm sure politics has a lot to do with it. But there's other things as well, uh, I'm sure. But the thing about it is, like everything else in health, and like I really try hard to promote here on Vitality Radio, there is always something that can be done about this, about anything that has to do with your health. There's always something that can be done. And I truly believe that. And in the case of stress reduction, I think we have way more control than we give ourselves credit for. So, um, oh, and I also mentioned too, before I skip over it, our best-selling product at Vitality right now is a stress product. And that has been the case for multiple years that in the top two or three sellers at Vitality Nutrition have been products for stress. And that's sad. It's sad to me. The one right now that we sell the most is a CBD product that's specific for stress. Uh, and it's a fantastic product and people love it. They get great results with it. But I so wish that we didn't have to rely on supplements and certainly not drugs to stay in balance when it comes to stress. 
So let's talk about this one technique. I'm going to go through it. I hope that on radio, this will still translate, but I highly recommend that you look at this article. Like I say, it's on my Facebook page if you want to check it out. Progressive muscle relaxation is a two-step process in which you systematically tense and relax different muscle groups in the body. With regular practice, it gives you an intimate familiarity with what tension as well as complete relaxation feels like in different parts of your body. This can help you react to the first signs of the muscular tension that accompanies stress. And as your body relaxes, so will your mind. Progressive muscle relaxation can be combined with deep breathing for additional stress relief. Now, I've been a big fan of deep breathing for a long time. I think it has a lot of value to it, and I have seen benefit from it myself. And I've talked about it quite a bit on the radio, but that's why I wanted to go a different route here uh, with this progressive muscle relaxation. But I can fully see how encompassing the two in one thing, uh, because it doesn't add any extra time, just a little more technique. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so first they do give the uh, disclaimer. Consult with your doctor first if you have a history of muscle spasms, back problems, or other serious injuries that may be aggravated by tensing your muscles. Otherwise, start at your feet and work your way up to your face, trying to only tense those muscles intended. Loosen your clothing, take off your shoes, and get comfortable. Take a few minutes to breathe in and out slow, deep breaths. When you're ready, shift your attention to your right foot. Take a moment to focus on the way it feels, just as it is. Slowly tense the muscles in your right foot, squeezing as tightly as you can and hold for a count of 10. Relax your foot. Focus on the tension flowing away and how your foot feels as it becomes limp and loose. Stay in this relaxed state for a moment, breathing deeply and slowly. Shift your attention to your left foot. Follow the same sequence of muscle tension and release. Move slowly up through your body, contracting and relaxing the different muscle groups. It may take some practice at first, but try not to tense muscles other than those intended. Right foot, then left foot. Right calf, then left calf. Right thigh, then left thigh. Hips and buttocks. Stomach, chest, back. Right arm and hand, then left arm and hand. Neck and shoulders, and then your face. That's how progressive muscle relaxation is done. It sounds pretty simple, and I guess it is. I mean, I, I didn't do the whole thing before I got on the air because I was running low on time, as usual, but I did the feet just to see what it was like and get a feel for it, and it's very interesting. I really liked it, but I also noticed that when I did the feet, my calves and thighs were tight as well, so I did have to kind of focus on that, and I like that because one of the ways that we meditate is by focusing, right? They say to focus on your breathing. There are other things you can focus on during meditation, but you want to focus on something so that you're forgetting everything else. Being in the moment with that tightened right foot or loosened right foot, I think has real power. I really, really like this, and I'm going to do it, and uh, I'll report my results on a future episode. So that's one thing that you can do. Of course, deep breathing is, is excellent. I'm a big, big believer in that. I recently found out, believe it or not, that gargling is a stress reliever. It has something to do with what chemicals are released when you are gargling that impact the brain and help to calm things down. And you can gargle just water. You can gargle 
you know, a mouth rinse. You can gargle whatever you want, but gargling when you're under stress can help to really relax things. That's something new. It's not in the article. I actually learned that from Dr. Casey Oliver, uh, who is fantastic uh, in Utah County. If you're not familiar with him, if you deal with stress and anxiety, I'm going to have him on the show soon to talk about his techniques that he uses for these things. He really helps a lot of people with this stuff, so I'm very excited about it. Let's get into more my expertise and talk about the supplements that can be used for stress and relaxation. I joke around a lot about uh, how I've got, you know, a bunch of kids and I won't pick a favorite because you're never supposed to pick a favorite kid, right? But when you've been doing herbs and vitamins and formulating supplements for as long as I have, it's hard not to pick favorites in that category. And uh, hopefully the other herbs don't feel left out, but I love ashwagandha. Ashwagandha is known as and revered as one of the most holy of medicines in Indian, what's called Ayurveda, which is the practice of Indian herbalism. Now, Ayurveda has roots going back 5,000 plus years, and so they've been doing this for a long time. But with modern science, we know why ashwagandha is so great. Ashwagandha has something inside of it called withanolides, and withanolides help to relax the body by reducing cortisol. Now, cortisol is this amazing hormone. It's been vilified a lot recently because it is the hormone that in excess can make us hold on to fat around the midsection, visceral fat, the kind that kills us eventually. So we want to get rid of that stuff and cortisol tends to make it harder to do that. But cortisol also is the alarm clock hormone. It's one of the hormones that wakes us up in the morning and gives us the energy to go about our day. And so cortisol, along with pretty much every other hormone in the body, it's all about balance. Not too much, not too little. But when we're under stress, cortisol is one of those fight or flight hormones. If there's a bus barreling down the road and it's going to hit you, cortisol, along with adrenaline and a few other things, are what get us out of the way. So cortisol is good in short bursts to help with energy, to help with uh, that fight or flight mode if we truly need to be in it. But we don't truly need to be in fight or flight mode most of the time, and yet many of us are all of the time. Ashwagandha helps to calm that down by taking cortisol levels down as low as 26% uh, or by as much as 26% in the blood, and that is remarkable. Now, if you're going to try ashwagandha, I highly recommend that you use a form called Sensoril. That's S-E-N-S-O-R-I-L. Sensoril ashwagandha has better research on it than any other ashwagandha in the marketplace. It is not used as much as some others because it is a little more expensive, but it is fantastic. And it's not like it's expensive to use. We have a Sensoril ashwagandha that we sell at uh, Vitality for around 15 bucks for what is a month or even sometimes a two-month supply for people. So it's not expensive to use, but it's not used in a lot of formulas that have ashwagandha, and it probably should be. I love sensorial ashwagandha. There's another thing. If you deal with mental stress, mental stress is, you know, that constantly running brain that won't turn off when it's time to go to bed at night or prevents, precludes you from focusing on the task at hand or just keeps you wired all the time. In the brain, there is a chemical called GABA. It's gamma aminobutyric acid. GABA is what's called an inhibitory neurotransmitter. 
Now, inhibitory neurotransmitter basically means that it calms overexcitement in the brain. So when there's a lot of stuff going on up there, a lot of chatter, as I call it, GABA helps to calm it down. In clinical studies, they did studies on sixth graders, and I loved this, especially because I hate the thought of sixth graders being on drugs for attention deficit. They did studies on sixth graders, and it was a double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover study. Basically, half the kids got GABA, and half the kids got a placebo, and then the next day, they gave the other half, um, they they flip-flopped and gave the half that didn't have the placebo, um, the placebo this time, and the other half GABA. Anyway, in that study, what they did is they gave the kids a math test, and it was a math test with no end, so they just wanted to find out how many questions they could complete in a certain amount of time, and then not only how many questions they could complete, but what accuracy did they have in completing them. And something fascinating happened, because I want to make sure you understand the uh, parameters that this study was done under. None of these kids had been given GABA before, and they only had it once, right before the test, about a half an hour before the test, 100 milligrams of something known as pharma GABA. And so there was no buildup period. This was a group of sixth graders, not specific to attention deficit, just sixth graders generally. And they gave them this 100 milligrams of GABA. And in both groups that had the GABA, they performed about 15% better, 15% more answers given and 15% more accurately. That is a big deal. If you can get sixth graders' brains to calm down to the point where they can perform 15% better on a math test and 15% faster, that's awesome on one dose. So how does it work for adults? Well, the only difference is you need a little bit more. 100 milligrams typically isn't enough for adults. In most cases, I find somewhere between 200 and maybe 500 milligrams for adults. It comes in a chewable. It comes in a capsule. PharmaGABA is awesome. If your mind won't shut up, for lack of a better term, if you need it to calm down, you need to focus, try PharmaGABA. I absolutely love it. L-theanine. Now, theanine is kind of a cousin to GABA. There's a specific form called sun theanine that's excellent. I also, regular theanine seems to work quite well also. But theanine was originally found in green tea. And as they've isolated theanine, what they found is it does two things. It actually increases GABA in the brain. So it does on a lower level, but still very impactful what GABA does. And then it also helps to increase alpha brain waves. Alpha brain waves are the waves that are produced when our brain is in a meditative state. So if you can get the meditative state going, then you're going to be more calm. Pretty simple, right? So we love to get the alpha brain waves up. We love to get the GABA up so that we can calm our minds. L-theanine also comes in capsules and chewables as well. And both of them are safe for kids that are stressing out. I want to emphasize that. They are really, really effective. My favorite things in the world when it comes to stress, other than the last thing I'm going to mention, are ashwagandha, GABA, and L-theanine. I love them all. I use them all myself. But the thing that I want to get to last, I guess saving the best for last, is magnesium. Now, I've been on a magnesium kick lately. If you've been listening to a lot of shows, you know, I've been talking about magnesium. And I'm going to keep 
talking about magnesium because it's critical. In fact, within a week or two, I'll have an expert on magnesium to talk about it in even more detail. So I won't go into a lot of detail here as we're running out of time, but I do want to get into it. Magnesium, the reason I put it above these other things is because you can't be deficient in L-theanine. You can't be deficient in ashwagandha. You can be deficient in GABA for sure, because that is a brain chemical that does belong there. Uh, but the other two you can't have a deficiency in. And the vast majority of us are deficient in magnesium. And remember, I talked about this progressive muscle relaxation technique. Well, nothing could be more effective at helping you do that than magnesium. One thing that I've been doing recently, and I've shared this before, so if you've heard it before, I apologize, but I've been doing these magnesium foot baths with something called magnesium chloride flakes. These are not the same as Epsom salt. Epsom salt is good, and I don't discourage the use of Epsom salt. It can be very beneficial. I've used it for years, but taking it to the next level is magnesium chloride in a bath flake. These flakes dissolve very easily in, in water. And you get a little foot bath. Um, I found mine online for 12 bucks. Uh, but you can use anything that you can put your feet into. And you get water that is warm, not super piping hot, because you want the right temperature to allow the feet to absorb the magnesium. The bottle of the bath salts actually tells you what temperature is ideal for that. But you get your feet and you soak them for about 20 to 30 minutes in this water with the magnesium in it. And it is awesome. It's profound. I've got this hip thing that's been bugging me a little bit. And I've had so many wonderful people uh, offer me help on that. And, and it's getting better. I mean, it's really feeling better than it has in a long time. I think I'm finding the uh, things that I need to find to get it better. But one of the biggest things to relax that tendon, ligament, that stress that's in my hip has been this magnesium foot bath. And I'll tell you, it is awesome. I've talked to several of my clients at Vitality Nutrition recently that have been doing it, and they love it. This is a really great, solid relaxation technique. Is this foot bath because it kind of forces the it kind of forces the the uh, habit, right? Because you've got to actually physically do something. You put your feet in this bath. Uh, if you're a woman who takes twenty or thirty minutes getting ready in the bathroom in the morning, you can stand in it. Um, but you can do it while you're recording a podcast. You can do it while you're watching the tube. You can do it while you're reading a book. Uh, you can do it just about anywhere, uh, that you can do warm water, magnesium and a, and a little foot bath. So it's not that hard to do and you can multitask while doing it. One thing that I'm going to try is I'm going to try this muscle relaxation technique next time I've got my feet in the tub. I'm excited about it. But magnesium plays this huge role in relaxation because it is the, the one element that is critical for the relaxation of soft tissue, muscles, ligaments, tendons, things like that. And it is the one element that almost all of us are deficient in in this country. And it is one element that your body requires a much higher level of when you are under stress. There's something known as the magnesium burn rate. And when the magnesium burn rate is at its highest is when our body is under stress. So when we already have low magnesium levels and then we compound that with stress, then our need for magnesium goes up exponentially. So the foot bath thing works great. If you want to take it orally, I highly recommend the magnesium glycinate form. Those are my two favorites. I do both. I take some orally and I also do the foot baths. And I absolutely love it. And one last thing I'll mention, because I've actually got a couple of minutes, is something called Nightburn. 
Now, Nightburn, uh, full disclosure, I developed this formula. And that's okay because I try hard to develop good formulas. But uh, And it comes with a guarantee. So if you don't like it, yeah, nothing, uh, you know, nobody loses anything. But here's the thing about Nightburn. It was designed to be something that could actually help you get into a deeper state of sleep so that you could get an increase in natural growth hormone levels. If you get an increase in natural growth hormone levels, especially if you're exercising, it really helps with muscle recovery. But even if you're not exercising, higher levels of growth hormone have been proven to increase mood, increase testosterone, and increase fat loss. And so growth hormone is a big deal, and that's why Nightburn is designed to do that. But Nightburn has a couple of compounds in it that I already mentioned. It has ashwagandha, and it has L-theanine. Most people report that when they take Nightburn at night, they wake up feeling more refreshed, more alert, kind of more ready to go in the morning. People love how they sleep on it, even though it is not a sedative. It doesn't make you sleepy. In fact, I've used Nightburn many times during the day to help with mental focus, and it works great for that too. So those are the supplements that I recommend for calm, zen-like feelings. They are very, very useful very effective, very proven. All of them have excellent clinical studies on them, and I highly recommend those. Check out the website. Um, It was uh, helpguide.com. Go to my Facebook page, and you can uh, look at the article. I've already posted it, Vitality Radio, on Facebook. And of course, if you are a listener who has enjoyed Vitality Radio uh, locally here in Salt Lake City or a new podcast listener, as long as you like what you hear, Go tell somebody, share the podcast, subscribe, give me a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. I try really hard to deliver content that you can use. And of course, please give us feedback too. You can call us at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Vitality Radio is always brought to you by Vitality Nutrition in Bountiful. Again, one more time, 801 292 6662. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. My name is Jared St. Clair, and this is Vitality Radio. You've been listening to the Vitality Radio Podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham, with very limited help from Jared. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Vitality Radio. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast has not been evaluated by the FDA. This podcast is provided with the understanding that the information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a medical professional. Thank you.